Welcome to Dream Big with Big Dreamers, conversations for career growth, inspiration, and insight, hosted by Donna Sardula and yours truly, Scott Jones. Here are the inspiring stories that shape the careers of top executives, entrepreneurs, and professionals. These empowering discussions offer guidance and advice as you advance in your career. It's time to dream big. Welcome to Dream Big with Big Dreamers, conversations for career growth, inspiration, and insight. Hear the inspiring stories that shape the careers of top executives, entrepreneurs, and professionals. These empowering discussions offer guidance and advice. As you advance in your career, it's time to dream big. Hey there, Scott. Donna, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, but I'm, I am uh, searching for meaning in my life. I'm trying to find purpose. Aren't we all? Well, Frankel. Uh, oh gosh, what was that guy's name? Frankel. Frankel. Victor I just said Frankel. it. Victor Frankel. Victor Frankel. Frankel. Sprechen Sie Deutsch. I, I don't speak much of it, but I'm going to read the heck out of it with a dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the adjective endings that have always like really killed me on that language. But um, he wrote that book, Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah, one of the most important books of the 20th century. Uh, quite, I mean, I think a lot of people would find that assessment uncontroversial. I mean, it's a, he, he spent time in, a, in the concentration camps, and Man's Search for Meaning kind of came out of that experience, figuring out what made the difference between what kept people alive, how people survived, and, and, and actually came out of it with their humanity, and, and, and who really kind of you know, floundered and really struggled. And then, you know, kind of the book also kind of explains his own kind of therapeutic approach in light of all this. So it's, a, I mean, it's a pretty great, there's a, there's a quote in the beginning of the book I love. It's an ellipsis. I think it's, it's a quote from Nietzsche where it says, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. The idea that if you have a meaning, you know, the, 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 the if you have the why, the hows will take care of you. You can endure the hows of how to get there. But if you don't have a why, the hows will kill you. I love that. That sounds, and I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, it's, if you know why you're doing this, if you have a mission, if you have a passion, you can, you can keep moving forward and, and, you know, endure and survive. You know, our, our guest today is Paul <clears throat> Silver and he's a businessman. He's a lawyer and he's a client strategist. Cole practiced law for over 35 years. He first owned his own multi-state firm, and then he served as a general counsel to several high-growth companies. He's now a chief client officer of a global law firm, um, Blank Rome, and he, he helps align lawyers with their client needs. He's authored not one, not two, but three books. He served as an instructor to several academic institutions, and he trained hundreds of professionals in leadership, business development, and client service. So please welcome Cole Silver. How you doing, Cole? Hey, Donna. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for, for joining us today. You know, I have, a, I have a really kind of crazy question that has nothing to do with Viktor Frankl, but this is, this is a question I have with almost every single lawyer I have ever met, and that is... As a little boy, did you want to be a lawyer when you grew up? Was that like, was that something that like started early in your life? Did you always want to be that? Um, I really wanted to be Fred Astaire, but um, 
I stopped growing, so dance was out of the question. <laughs> um, the reason I became a lawyer was I only wanted to work for the State Department because I was interested in solving world and global disputes in a peaceful way. I've always been interested in how people resolve conflict and to avoid war. And to me, law is one of the only ways we do that. And if you look at the last month and a half through the election, the storming of the Capitol, the lawsuits brought by the Trump administration, it proved my theory that the law and the judiciary was the only thing standing in the way of total anarchy and a coup against the U.S. government. Wow. And, and so you aligned with that, that thought early. And now you're seeing all of this stuff, you know, come to fruition before your very eyes. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Philadelphia in a very rough neighborhood during the gangs of the 60s. So I learned early on that, you know, you had to protect yourself in a fairly violent world. Now, unfortunate for a young kid to live like that, but so many of us do. So I was always interested in peaceful resolution and service to other people. Um, because one way or another, you're either going to fight or you're going to get um, some sort of resolution in a peaceful way. And you would have hoped by now um, we would have learned that fighting uh, doesn't really work. Yeah. I mean, is that is that your meaning? I mean, is that the meaning that you, in your mind, said, hey, I want to provide peaceful resolutions like that is who I am. That's why I was brought into this world. Yes. As Scott uh, said, that's my why. So, um, did, did, no, wait, did, did you, did, did this like formulate in your head while you were pinned to the ground by a horrible bully when you were like 13? <laughs> no, at that point I wanted to kick him in the balls. <laughs> It was only afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, so I, I'm a peaceful warrior, but there are times when you have to fight. And I learned that as a lawyer, too. Um, while I tried to resolve most of my cases peacefully and settle them, there are some times when you're left with no other choice but to fight, and you have to know the difference. Yeah, that's interesting because that's what I was wondering. As somebody who has embraced the vocation of a peacemaker, that you, you don't think of lawyers primarily as peacemakers, right? In fact, you think there almost has to be an adversarial spirit about you to be a, a good litigator and attorney. I mean, are those parts of your personality that you hold in tension? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Scott. And I think in many ways it guided my career away from being a litigator and moved it towards being a businessman and someone who resolved 
business disputes because businessmen are much more practical. They don't want to fight for everything because it's dollars. So while I started out as a litigator, I really hated it. So I moved on and became a business lawyer. Are you saying that's, is that because clients in litigation that aren't, that, that aren't business pragmatists often will just keep things going on? Like, like I've seen this in, in, in friends who've um, gotten divorced. And I always would tell people like, don't use the divorce process to work out your emotional hangups or your issues. But then, you know, the, the divorce process becomes a means of fighting or something, right? Is, is that the challenge with litigation? Sometimes clients have all this emotional stuff wrapped up in whatever the dispute is that it, it gets hard for them to be practical and let go and come to a resolution that, that, that is actually helpful for everybody. Yes. I mean, there's no doubt about it, especially in divorce when you're fighting over children and marital assets. But if you think about it, most disputes that are unable to resolve are because of emotions, because of hurt egos, because of revenge, or because of greed or fear. So all of the emotions, the negative emotions, is what propels litigation. But it's not just that. It's the system. The system propels continued litigation and non-settlement. Because the longer the process goes on, the more money the lawyer makes, right? So it's not always in the lawyer's best interest to see a rapid and expeditious settlement. So this, the interests between the client and the lawyer are sometimes very, very adverse to each other. And then if you have the opponent who wants to fight and is unreasonable, there's really nothing you can do. So you have to fight. And then you have the whole system in front of a judge who may not be moving the case along. So the system, as well as negative emotions, make the, make the litigation process worse than it is. That's why many businesses when you sue them, they'll settle right away because they know it's just a game of extortion. Right? So. That, that, that sort of makes me feel like, oh, we're in a no-win situation and you better hope that you never get that uh, letter from a lawyer. Yeah, it's true. I'm curious. You know, one of the intractable world conflicts seems to be in Israel, you know, with the Israel-Palestinian issue, you know, which it just, you know, for decades and decades, um, it just, there doesn't seem to be reproach impossible. Like, if you were sitting down with those parties, what would you say, like, what would be your starting point? Like, you know, in a situation that has been in, intractable for, for years, how, like, would you, have you thought about that? Do you have ideas about how you would move that ball forward? So, um, how much time do you have? <laughs> 30 seconds on this one, Cole. Yeah. <laughs> we want something deep. <laughs> 30 seconds. I think the basis to resolving any dispute is to find 
an emotional connection where they can see a positive resolution is in their best interests versus continuing conflict. So you've got to find that common denominator. And to me, the common denominator is always think about your children. Do you want your children to continue to live like this, under fear, under violence, under continued threat? Or do you want to make a chance at peace? You know, Scott, Arafat and Rabin were really close during the Clinton years. But when the radicals killed Rabin, it was dead. And so from a societal standpoint, you've got to attack the radicals, just as we're going to have to do today with white supremacists, in order to get to a global resolution. You know, it's funny because when you and I were talking earlier, Cole, one of the things you had said to me is success must be defined. And I almost see that 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 works even through what you're talking about. You know, what what does it look like? What, you know, define it and then you can work towards it. And it doesn't have to be necessarily just for that person, but it could also be in that situation to resolve an instance as well. Yes. I mean, success is unique to each person, to each party, to each country. There are commonalities of mutual interest. And when you're negotiating with diverse parties, you have to find that. But on an individual level, success is truly unique. We may all think we want money. We may all think we want the corner office. We may all think we want power. But a lot of times when we get there, we still have, as Scott was talking about, an existential vacuum meaning this didn't bring me what I thought it would, and that is meaning in my life. So you have to figure out what success looks like to you, and it's a moving target. Like when I was younger, success meant, you know, being the top lawyer, feeding my family and having enough money to make sure my kids went to the best schools. But I'm in my 60s now, and success is a lot different. Success now is making a real difference in society and people's lives in the last stage of my life. So success is a moving target for all of us, and we have to go deep into our emotions and get away from our ego to find out what's really, really important. You know, I, I, I sometimes feel that, I, I hate to bring this into the, the smartphone arena, but so many people spend their lives just staring at Facebook or Instagram and scrolling. And I think in some ways it, it alleviates that, that, that desire to even go deep. It's like it, it forces you to stay at a very superficial level so you don't 
ask yourself those deep questions because I think what you're saying when I'm hearing is you have to continually ask yourself, who am I? Why am I here? What's what makes me happy? What what moves me? What is my purpose? You have to keep asking because if it's a moving target, you can't just assume that it's always going to be there. But I think so many people are are using technology and external reasons not to because it is a little uncomfortable, isn't it, Cole? I mean, like in some ways to ask yourself that means you really have to think and you have to almost allow yourself to feel down, down deep in your spirit. Yeah, I mean, I think it can be uncomfortable because it exposes the true you. You may have been living with the red pill that uh, um, they talked about in the Matrix, but you really created a reality that isn't true. So only inside, not listening to gurus or reading books, or talking to somebody on your cell phone, only inside are the answers to create the reality that is the real you. And while it can be uncomfortable, it's the only answer that you'll find that's true. And when you're on your deathbed, you will regret if you didn't take time to do that exploration and create the reality that you wanted out of your life. I wonder though what role other two people do play in the sense, you know, I have a, some friends, they live on the West Coast and they're, I think they're both in their early 60s. They're a married couple and they do a, a practice every Saturday. They basically take turns every other week just listening to their partner process how their week was and what their deepest feelings were and what their deepest insights were. And the other spouse mirrors back to them, the, the, the talking partner what they're hearing. And they take turns each week. One, one, turn, one, time, one week, um, someone's the listener. One time, someone's the share. I'm wondering, are there, what role do, do deep friendships play in, in discovering your meaning? I mean, do you need sounding boards? I mean, I, I know you're saying like you can't find it from a guru. But also, it, it sounds like it couldn't be enti- entirely solitary, right? Because we're relational, we're social animals, as Aristotle said, right? Yeah. So, um, a good coach, a good mentor, a good advisor can help draw the answers out. But the answers are still within, in my opinion. Um, You know, I think that the exercise that you describe, Scott, is very interesting. And if you have a good partner and good friends who can help you get through the clutter on the inside, you know, that's terrific. But I still think at the end of the day, you're going to create your own reality one way or another. And the only way to get there is through meditation, prayer, and taking the time to explore your feelings. And while other people can help, the answers, the real answers, are still within you. Cole, do you journal? 
I have journaled, um, but I don't anymore. Um, but it's a great exercise. You know, you had said to me, a previous conversation, we've had a few now, but service is at the heart of everything. How do you, yes. like, what's compelling you now in terms of service and, and what can other people think? You know, I, I, for me, I, I feel that a lot of times people aren't really thinking, how do I give back? How can I help? You know, it's, it's just, let's move forward. Let me get the dinner on the table. Let me, you know, just move forward. But I think you do at times have to stop and say, all right, how do I give back? How can I help? I mean, giving back can be as easy as paying something forward or giving someone a smile who's having a bad day. I've been a career mentor and coach to people for over 30 years. And it's been very interesting to watch but the people that have a career in service are the happiest people. Mm. And there's a reason for that. Because we all want to, at the end of the day, we want to know that we made a difference being here. And the only way you can make a difference is being of service. So... Whatever that means to you, you should find a way to be of service, whether it's to clients, friends, strangers, people in need, your career. Um, it is what makes life meaningful and purposeful. Um, you know, Cole, you said something earlier that's that's kind of like echoing in my head and that is you've been a mentor and and you know a coach to, and a, you know to people you know for, the, for for years now do they approach you do you approach them because we hear that all the time you need a mentor you need a coach you need someone to sort of help you along but i think a lot of people don't even know where to find one and then if there is someone in their lives they're almost like they're almost like afraid to even ask how did these people approach you or did you approach them and say hey I'd love, I'd love to help you in your career So um since I've been a boss I've helped people who reported to me Um right now I coach lawyers I also work for other organizations as a mentor to young professionals I am also a cancer um, recovery person, and I coach people who have had similar injuries. To answer your question, it comes out of both, meaning once people meet me, they see that I'm an old soul, and my interest is only to help them. And I also go to organizations and say to them, let me help your constituents by um, serving as a mentor to whatever it is. So for example, I also serve as a mentor to children whose parents were killed in the service of the country. Now, while I never had that happen to me, to me I still 
have always been devoted to children. I was the chairman of Big Brothers and Big Sisters. So I think once people meet me, they see that my only objective is to serve, to be a good listener, and to help. And so it is my nature, and I think they see that. Did you have a mentor? That you- I have many mentors. still do. I guess in some ways, you, you, you always will need someone. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are in one's career. You know, as much as I try to go inside to get my answers, I still need to talk to experts in different phases of life. So I think it's important to have many mentors. And if I look back on my life, many people have had a positive impact on me and made helped me make decisions that positively influenced me across the board. So I think it's important to have, as Scott said, those deep friendships, the people that are really looking out for you, who really love you and care about you. And that's really important because there are certain friends who say they're your friends, but they delight sometimes in your misery. So you have to be careful. Well, there's the, there's that one quote that's, you, you want to know who you are, look around, and your five closest friends, you're an average of those five friends. And if you want to, if, you, if you're struggling to uh, move ahead and do more, you have, to, um, you have to level up with your friends. You have to find new friends because you're always sort of like boy at their level. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I mean, it's so true especially if you look at your kids, right? Who they're hanging out with. Oh my goodness. (laughs) True, yes. (laughs) That could be a huge red flag. You know, you talk about social media. Yeah. So you talk about social media today and me always being on your phone. If you use LinkedIn and social media, which is how I found you, um, to upgrade your connections, to meet people of like mind, to introduce people to other people who want to help. It is a very powerful tool because but for LinkedIn, I would not have had the pleasure of meeting you. And I brought you into my company to speak and people loved you. And I, as I've gotten to know you, have found you to be a truly quality person of real integrity. And to me, integrity is everything. I'm curious. You're somebody who obviously does a lot of thinking and reflection. And you were were mentioning earlier that you were reflecting on, you know, your contribution in in the... in the latter phases of your life, I'm wondering, is there something like a big idea or a big concept or some issue or some kind of reality that you've changed your mind on late in life? Because I, I often think it's really hard to change your mind about things, especially the older you get. I notice the older I get, the harder it is for me to, to change my mind. Are there things 
Can you think of an example of something that you really changed your mind on? So when I was younger and idealistic, I wanted to be Secretary of State to solve world problems. As I've gotten older, I've realized I'm not going to solve the world's problems. And it was a big aha moment for me. And it was very sad. But what I've come to realize, Scott, is in a very small way, if I can impact everybody that I meet in a positive way, then that's the way that I'm going to impact the world. That's beautiful. It's a different way of looking at it. You know, sometimes people think, oh, <laughs> in order to be successful, you've got to start here. But the truth is you can be successful and, and reach a lot of other people in a different type of way, but it still has a, an enormous impact. I hope so. We'll see how many people show up at my funeral. <laughs> and that's, isn't that the problem, though, Cole? You won't know. <laughs> no, but you know what? I know. So if you bring this story back to its beginning of Viktor Frankl and having a reason or a purpose, my purpose is to help everybody that I come in contact with be successful. And if I do that, that's my juice. That's what keeps me going. And while my purpose also is making sure that my family is okay and my friends are, are okay, my big purpose is to help people succeed in whatever it is that they want. That's why I'm here. Fabulous. Cole, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I appreciate it. This This conversation has really got me thinking and I'm and I'm hoping the people who who listen maybe will take just one takeaway and that is to sit quietly and really really think about you know where they are what they want what their meaning might be and uh maybe we'll see some some good impact from from your words today thank, thank you. you Donna thanks Cole thanks thanks for listening to dream big with big dreamers if you like the show please do us a favor Go into iTunes and write a review and give us a rating or share it with a friend via social media or email if you think they'd benefit from these conversations. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time. Until then, keep dreaming big.